Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Mark Portney is an American entrepreneur, investor, and business advisor. His street smart insights and deep knowledge in the retail landscape are invaluable when assessing the commercial viability of new products. As president of Global Source Infrastructure Partners, an international player in product development, manufacturing, and sales, Portney works diligently to bring new products to market. With over 30 years of experience, his street smart insights, body of contacts, and expert knowledge of the retail landscape en- enable him to lead Global Source Infrastructure Partners and its affiliates from concept to store shelf. He also heads a group of venture capitalists who participate in any size deal that he feels is worthy. In 2014, he was chosen as host and resident investor on Disney Science Channel's new series, All American Makers. Each week, the show features four amateur invest- in- inventors eager to for the opportunity to take their product to market. Each inventor's product was shown to consumers, broken down, and examined to test their metal and ultimate marketability. Mark and his team of savvy experts then decide if any of the inventions merit financial investment. Mark, in so many ways, there's so many deals we can talk about. You've obviously been around for a while and you do a lot of great things. I really want to welcome you to the DealQuest podcast. I appreciate it. Let me start by using about that long intro. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, you know, I always, you know, I, I shorten some people's bios that they send me if they send me like, you know, their educational, uh, you know, info and all this stuff. But, you know, but everything in there was relevant to deals. So I wanted to, I wanted to get it out there so our audience, you know, gets a feel for who you are. But sure. listen, before we get to any of that, whether it's the, you know, the investment deals, whether it's, you know, you know, off, off air or on air, apparently, you know, whether it's the procurement, whether it's, I know you do some licensing. I want to take you back first, though, when you were a little kid, 8, 10, 12 years old, what did you want to be growing up? Because my guess is somebody who runs a company that helps people with procurement and and uh, somebody who's a, you know, a VC investor probably wasn't it at that age, but you- t- I mean, well, I, I, I got the bug really, really early. I mean, I figured out that for 25 cents, I can shine a pair of my father's shoes. So if I can shine one pair, I can shine 10 pairs. I saved up my money to get one of those wooden boxes where you put your foot on it. So it was a real business. Then I would wait for my grandparents to come over and I used to bang them for a shoe shine. So, and this was all super, super young. I mean, but just the, the feeling, that feeling of, of getting, of doing, working for what you're getting and then keeping the money was your own. You know, uh, stuff like that. I, I, you're old enough, like I am, to remember a paper route. I used sure. to not only have a paper route when I was a kid. I had two other kids in two other streets doing it, and they were doing it under me. 
and I was taking a cut of their paper out. Nobody could even understand what, what I was doing. And then I would go to the guy that pulled up in the station wagon and I would give him the VIG for all three routes. But I would give those get you can keep your tips, but you know, you're gonna give me X. And then I used to so I mean it started super young, man. Super. I, I love it. We you know, we have that in common. Listeners of the show know that, you know, I was a hustler as well when I was younger, and then at age fifteen, I used to deliver flyers door to door when I was thirteen or fourteen for like a company. And I got my own accounts and I hired my friends and I, I, you know, I literally became the crew chief, although, you know, who's usually an older kid who drove, who, who drove, but I rode around on my bicycle, checking up on my friends who were delivering flyers and I paid them X and, you know, and, and, and charged very X, similar. X plus, right? Yeah. Very <laughs> similar. <laughs> um, great. Look at one other question. Looking back, what was your first deal of any, of any type that you can remember? It could be something young when you were a kid or early in your career, Just not any deal that's memorable. I mean, I can go back and tell you a fun little story. I can give you the real deal that I did at 20 years old, which was a leveraged buyout. I can go, I can go there. I mean, I can, I mean, so I'll start with a quick one. My, my, my brother's a, a chubby kid, a big chubby kid, right? So my yeah. grandparents used to come over and visit from Regal Park, Queens, and sure. they used to bring a pound of chocolate lollipops and a $5 bill for each kid. It was three of us. So my, my brother would get his, his lollipops and his five. Back then, five might as well have been 500. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? I mean, yeah. you're talking about, you know, 50 years ago, you know, like that, 55 years ago, maybe. So, so my, my brother would gobble up the, the, the chocolate like in two seconds, right? And of course, I would take mine and put them in my bottom drawer. And my grandparents would come, visit, kiss these hugs, goodbye. And then they were all done. And then they left. And my brother was like, Hey, what are you doing with those, doing with those chocolate lollipops? I was like, dude, they're mine. They're mine. You know? So he goes, well, can I have one? I go, I'll sell you the whole thing. He goes, how much? I said, five bucks. Right. So every time my grandparents came, my brother would eat two pounds of chocolate and I would get 10 bucks. So <laughs> that was the beginning of me figuring out that there was a supply and a demand and a price for that supply, you know, like. I know it's a stupid little story, but it's really indicative of what, what I've become la later on in life, you know? So and he didn't give a shit. He didn't care about, about the five bucks. He just right. wanted that. He wanted the merchandise right, to put it right. into, you know? So I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, so listen, let's use that as a segue and we, we can get back, you know, and, and talk, and talk about that, that early other deal that you talked about a little sure. later, but let's. But since we, you know, you mentioned this early procurement, uh, you know, and and I'm starting to understand the value of goods, and let, let, let's jump into the core of you know what your what your business does. We gave a little bit of the in the bio, but like you know, talk a little bit more about who you serve, you know, and what you do, and what the model is like. Sure. So I, I own a company named Global Source Infrastructure Partners, and we're we're a sourcing we're a sourcing outfit. Close to the show, All American Makers. A few years back, I get a lot of submissions to market. Courtney.com. So we take those, we take those submissions. And then I look at, I probably look around 2000 submissions. I probably only invest in one or two a year. That's the, that's the ratio of uh, deals to submissions. So just so you know, but global source infrastructure partners can, A, once they have a prototype, develop it, develop the packaging and all of that stuff. You know, I have factory relationships. We have a payroll in China. And the factory owners actually fly in for my kids' weddings and they've stayed in my house for holidays 
but you know, that's pre pandemic, obviously, but sure. that that's the kind of relationships that, that I have over there. So we take people and we find their goods. We find the che- the least expensive way to manufacture it and, and protect it and make sure that it's not all it gets in the wrong hands. And then we bring it in and we do that over and over and over again. I've had clients for as much as 30 years. I've been doing this for about 35. And it's anything from components all the, all the way through to, I mean, we've done blood pressure monitors. I've done RV cables. It, there's no, there's no difference in, in anything, any treatment that we work in glass, ceramic, you know, it plastics. We do it. And, and that's what we do. And we take the sourcing away and, and, and all of the shipping and the customs and the duties. We give them a DDP price right to their back door, which is delivery duty paid. DDP. With the last year's debacle in the supply chain, there yeah. was a lot of people that was li- that were like, "Please take this away from me <laughs> now." So that 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 really put a nice pop into our model because we changed our model from a, you know, we'll find it for you, you bring it into, we'll do the door to door service. Don't even think about it; they love it, and that's really. A big change in the past, I'd say, 18 months. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's a great entrepreneurial exa- example of, you know, pivoting a model to, to, to uh, you know, uh, address what the market needs. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I love that. I love that story. I think every smart business person does that. And, you you know, I'm sure you were one of the things I've talked about, at least, you know, was talking about a lot more, early, you know, a little while back is, you know, is, is, is the impact of the pandemic on companies and I, you know, and I think the best description of it was this conversation of a K economy where there were certain industries that were in the upswing of the K and some that were down. And I, I probably never seen anything, any economic condition that had such a split. You know, we happen to do a lot of stuff. You know, we were fortunate as well in that we have a lot of clients in financial services and tech in a lot of other industries that did really, really well. We have a lot less in, you know, in, in like restaurants and retail, which obviously got hurt. You know, certainly logistics, distribution, you know, importing, you know, anything on the supply chain side, if you could solve, you know, issues, I mean, you know, that was huge, right? With all well, yeah, Let me give you one other thing we do that would, would resonate with your listeners is the fact that we deal with a lot of PE firms and before yep. they go and, and once they're doing their discovery, a lot of them do quality of earnings check, but yep. very few of them do quality of cost of goods. So we'll have a PE firm contact us. We go in, we look at their widgets. We'll just call them widgets for this story. Sure. And we find out, listen, we can save you 20% on that widget. So they do the deal based on the current numbers. Yep. And then after they purchase the company, we get the call to bring in the goods at a 20% discount. And you know, like everyone, that drops right to the bottom of the P&L. There's no overhead that, that has to do with that. And boom, it falls straight to the bottom. But they bought the company on the basis of the higher cogs. And listen, that's the, cl- I mean, what, what does any buyer, whether it's a PE buyer or, you know, a strategic buyer or an individual buyer, I mean, always what you want to happen in, in, in a deal like that is for you to recognize the opportunity for additional value, whether that's on the expense saving side, whether that's on the increasing the revenue side that the current owner, you know, hasn't been able to realize or hasn't figured out. And it's not, it's not like you're trying to pull anything over. It's like, you know, you're going to pay them on the value they created, not on the value you can create, you know, going but, forward. But they pulled me in so that to the victor goes the spoil. 
Sure, exactly. The owner was doing what he was doing. These guys are slick enough to bring me in and go, hey, worst thing that happens is that they're sourcing it crop. Now we can go forward knowing that they're doing the right thing. But the other thing that can happen is there can be a monster savings. We did this for a lot of Amazon aggregators. I don't know how familiar you are with those spaces, but there's aggregators that go and buy all of these individual Amazon, let's just call them stores. Yes. So before they make those purchases, I'm able to tell them just what the value, what just what the value is. We had a whiteboard once. The guy was, the guy was costing them 275 bucks a piece. I got on the call. I said, oh, so when was the last time you were in China? He says, that's funny. I've never been to China. <laughs> All of a sudden, the alarm bells start going off in my head. I, I kept my mouth shut because that's, I'm, I'm paid to keep my mouth shut until it's time. Turns out we got that, we got that same board for about 195 bucks. So that was a, that was an extreme situation. But the guy had never been to China. He's buying off of a website. He's just, they're having their way with them, whatever it is. And the bottom line is these guys just want enough to call me in and say, what does this look? You know, bring it to your people. Let's see. And, and they're saying, sometimes it's unbelievable. They'll say to me, is it the same item? I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, guys, it's the same item. I promise. There's just not four people in between. Right. Right. You know, so. Right, right. And listen, and that's true in so many in so many products, right? The closer you can get to the source. And, and listen, the, the, all the clients that I've had over the years who are, you know, in any 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 business, right? Any widget or whatever you want to talk about that's made overseas have spent I've either personally spent or work with somebody trusted who's who personally has spent years and years and a lot of time in that particular country whether that's China, Vietnam, you know, Philippines, whatever it is, right? Because you know, listen. You know, on on the one point, we're, we're we're talking about something that eventually ends up in the sales, you know, of goods and services for that particular person, which is not the topic of what we talk about. That's the organic growth side. But the deal side, in addition to forgetting, we'll get to the investment stuff. I mean, the ability to 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 cut deals with manufacturers, right, with distributors, with you know, with 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 you know, any anybody in that supply chain. Those are crucial deals and, and and relationships that you've built is what you know that what's allow what that is what allows you to bring the value that other people can't bring right long term though they're very very long term relationships and listen right. they come to the United States we spend time I don't have to spend time with them in the United States but I bring them into my home we share you know we share holiday customs with them I mean it's 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 crazy and then I used to go four or five times a year for all those years. And that's obvious for me to visit factories, FaceTime and all that stuff. But this stuff doesn't, you know, this does, it just doesn't pop out of your ass. I mean, that you have to, you have to build longevity and long-term relationships to have that type of Rolodex, especially yeah. in another country, you know? Yeah. So, so Mark, let, let's actually fill a gap here because, you know, we, we, we talked about your very early lesson on, uh, you know, on, on sourcing when you, and, and, that was women and value on the chocolates <laughs> when you were a kid. And now we've jumped to this amazing business you bought with this long-term relationships you have. How did you even get into this? How did, how did you get there? You know, what, what, what made you go into this area and how did you form some of those early key relationships? Obviously now, I don't want to say it's easy. Every business takes work, but I mean, now you're established. Now those relationships are established. You have, you know, but, but getting those relationships established in the beginning is the tough part. So talk, like, how'd you get into it in the first place? Well, I started in the floral business. That's where I started. 
So as a, as a young kid, I started just sweeping the floors in a flower and plant shop. That's what I did. I mean, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound sexy, but my father got divorced and had nothing to do with us on the weekend while he looked for, for girls. So that, that being the case, I, I went and got a job. So, and that, and that's what I did from there. I worked in a, a, a much larger place. I went from a dollar to $2 an hour. I was going crazy, man. The guy doubled my pay. It was unbelievable. Right. So I was, so that was that. And then I worked in that until I was about 20 years old, all the way from 15, like that. Okay. And then he was having trouble with the New York corporation and he came to a meeting once and he said, you know, I have to find a buyer for this New York corporation. I'm underwater, you know, 300 grand. I'm on the lease personally and I need to find a buyer. So I was like, okay. And I sat there and I thought, um, I sat him down and I said, listen, I got a buyer for you. He says, oh, really? That's fantastic. I said, it's me. He goes, <laughs> you're 20 years old with an old pair of tennis sneakers. What are you going to do? You know? So I said, listen, I'll give you a six, about six or $7,000 a month. This was in the eighties. It was like a, a fortune of money. I said, I'll give you the six or $7,000 a month. And I'll agree to buy the merchandise from you and pay a 10% over for, for your service. Okay. He said, you know what? You're just crazy enough to be able to do this. So I signed, I signed personally. It didn't matter. I wasn't even married yet. You know, my I wife did, thought she was yeah. marrying an account and now she was going to marry some sea slug that was going to be in retail, you know? <laughs> so anyway, make a long story short, I took it over. The first year I went from 300 loss to 300 profit. Uh, I just worked nine to nine, seven days a week and just never, never looked up, never looked up. And, and that's how that worked. So that kind of work, that kind of worked out. And then we, I I moved on from the, it's funny, the landlord was getting 25,000 a month at the time. And I went to him and I said, listen, at the end of this lease, I I mean, you make more than a partner would. If you don't, if you don't become reasonable, I'm going to leave. He was like, yeah, okay. but lease came and I told them, you know, that's that. And so we moved on. It was, it was, it was painful emotionally, but I had to do it. I made my money. I moved on. I met this company in, in Brooklyn, New York. They were doing, they were doing a hundred grand. So I, they, so they said, we'd love to talk to you also in the floral business connect. Okay. So they said, well, you know, we have this business. We'd love you to take, you know, we'd love you to take it over. So I said to them, okay, have a hundred grand. They were like, a hundred grand? You're nuts. We only do a hundred grand. Our other company makes a lot of money, but not this one. So let's just agree to disagree. Let's think about it. Come back next. Well, I wasn't working and I wasn't working for about four days. That was about four days too many for me. So I went back to, I went back to him. I said, listen, I came up with an idea. I said, I want a piece of the top line. You can have the first hundred. They were like, okay. They were like a cat that ate the canary because they did, there was nothing, there was nothing in it for them. So th- there was no exposure. You know, right. if I sold right. it, I ate what I killed. Right? Right. So why not? In the meantime, I built, I built the company to well, well over $10 million in three, in three years. Took a piece of the top. I was making a few money. And then, you know, so that, that's how that happened. But that company imported supplies, floral supplies. Okay. Everything in the flower shop that didn't die. I already knew about it. I already, the point I didn't get was the importing part. 
I didn't know anything about it. So I was watching this guy import, import, import. And he would never take me to China because he was scared, you know, and, and rightly so. So not that I'm dishonest, but, you know, I want to learn everything. I was young. I wanted to suck all the information in, you know, just, and lo and behold, I saw how it worked. I saw what the timeline was. I saw how it communicated. I saw, I started to see everything the way that, the way that he was doing it. Yeah. And then, and, and, and that's was my first taste of the import portion of the deal. So that's how I learned about the importing. Love it. So then what, what did you like? When did, when did you first go over to China and start establishing relationships there? Well, the relationships I was forming at that other company, I was yep. starting to form those. So, so I had some relationship there at the time because they would come in and they would have, you would have to go to dinner and sure. tea, you know, even here you have to do it, you know? So yeah, yeah but, but, but my, the, the guy that owned that company, he, he was my partner in that company. He didn't understand that, that the differential in cultures, they eat light, they eat lightly. They, they don't, they, he was taking them to Jewish deli and giving them a, giving him a corned beef sandwich. The guy was sick for three days after right. that. The, yeah, right. It was like eating a cannonball. What are you doing? <laughs> but, but that's what he would do. And then the guy wouldn't show up for two days. So sorry, sick in my room. And I was like, so uh, like, dude, what are you doing? You know? So there's a culture difference too, that you have to be respectful of and understand that people don't eat like American. You know what I mean? We, we're a special crew. When it yeah. comes to eating, you know, so, so, but I, I started to make those, those relationships. And then some of those relationships I carried on to my company. And that was a couple of, a few decades ago. And, Got it. and that's how that, that's how that whole thing started. So I would take them and we would, we would eat lightly and, and have a nice time. And then they weren't sick and I could have three days out of them versus one day of, one day of business and two days of sending Pepto-Bismol to them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So let's talk, how did you come to uh, start making investments? Was that, were you investing before the show or was the show really the kickoff of it? Talk about that and what you did. Well, I really, I really wasn't, I mean, I was investing in my own companies. Yes. That, that was that type of investment, sure. but it really started with the, with the show, All American Makers. Around the world, it's called Invent It Rich. So I always know where the show is showing because I'll wake up to 20 submissions from Croatia and I'll be like, <laughs> oh, I guess they showed it in Croatia yesterday. Right, right. So I get it. But it, it really, it really started with that because then I realized like, if I can take a piece of a company and use my skills to, to expand it and increase it and blow it up, then I would get, you know, it would be four pieces, even though smaller, but four pieces all working at the same time. I already knew what I was doing in the, in the sourcing part. I already I was doing in the sales and marketing. I already knew all that stuff. They had no exposure. I had the exposure. So that's what started off by having people then submit their 
items or their deals to morecourtney.com. And then I would take a look at them. But I'm very picky. I told you that ahead of time. I mean, maybe I look at 2000 deals. A lot of them are way, way, way too early. Sure. And then some of them make sense. And then I'll license one or two that I want to, uh, that, that I really want to take over the finish line that I think have like a really, really good chance of building and then maybe even selling it off. So that's how that whole investment thing started. Got it. All right. So I want to get to the talk about how you do those deals and licensing, but let's take a step back. How did the show come about? You know, like how, how did they approach, did they approach you? Like how did the show come about? It's a really funny story because my daughter signed up for a TV show in her high school. And okay. then when the executive, produ- different show, and right. when the executive producers called the house, they got me and I'm a little bit animated and a little bit aggressive. So they were like, who is this? And I was like, you called me, who's this? You know. <laughs> so then they were like, oh, we got to come interview this guy. This guy's crazy, right? So, I mean, I'm trying to hold it in for the podcast because it's a family show. So but but at the same time, so that's what started to happen. And then the executive producers knew me from that. And then they came up with this concept. It was for Science Channel, but Discovery Science. So like it was a big brand. It was a big brand. So it was kind of like a kinder, gentler Shark Tank for nerds, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So, so on Shark Tank, if you don't have sales, you don't really have a good chance of getting the deal, right? On this show, you came in, you made a claim, and two science guys tested your claim. Got After it. they tested your claim, so if you said something that, you know, it, it chilled a beer to 20 degrees after five minutes, well, be careful with your words. We're going to check, we're going to test it out. So we did that. And then they came back, they reported to the boardroom, and then we talked about it. This guy's full of shit because that, that beer was, you know, 80 degrees. It didn't go anywhere near it, right? Okay, well, listen, dude, you got to go home because, you know, they, you, you lied. So one of them have to go. Then we took the items after they went through testing and we put them in front of a real live focus group. Okay, this is this left-handed widget. It's 1999. We used to sit in the green room with, with the inventor and watch the responses, which drove them crazy because that was their bait. Sure, right? of course. We take the real response. We'd have them, we'd have them you know, give it a mark from one to 10. One being terrible, 10 being the best thing that I've ever seen. And then we tallied that, but I still didn't even have to listen to that. I could take a 10 and tell them to go home because it was my money, right? So, but anyway, I used it as a guide kind of what people would like. And then sure. from there, we went to a round where we fixed problems that came up in the focus group. And then from there, we went to a deal round, which means I could invest in one of them, none of them, two, 10 of them, whatever it was. And it was totally up to me. And that, and that basically was the show. So it appealed to the nerd who wanted to see how does that work? The yep. makings, the, 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 the chemical makeup or whatever that item was or the business, the businessy type people who wanted to see, am I going to give them a deal and how's that going to go down? Love it. All right. So let, let's say, you know, we're, we're talking about the two out of 2000 or whatever that come through, you know, and, and make it through your vetting. Now you mentioned licensing. So talk to me a little bit about how you do these deals. You know what? I mean, we don't need any obviously specific information on a given deal, but you know, what, what, what what's the licensing structure? How, how do you do these deals? Well, the licensing structure is that, I mean, they have to be, you know, willing, ready, willing, and able because they're going to be giving up control. They're going to be giving up, you know, I'm going to do everything from soup to nuts and then I'm going to give you a royalty. 
Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's, and that's the, the general structure of the deal. So I, I take on, I, t- I took on a pillow that was patented. Okay. And my attorney says, there's no way you got a patent on a pillow. I said, well, read it and weep, dude. There it is. So he's like, wow, pretty cool. So we took that and now we, we're just about ready to launch it probably a couple a couple of weeks more but it's been a long grueling process because covid just smashed it i mean smashed everything that we had in place just got smashed but now it's got a lot now it's really taken on a life of its own we have manufacturing out of mexico we have we have 15 of the largest hospitality groups really interested in this thing and we've got the funding we've got the the people in place we, we're, we're we're ready to turn then we're going to take They'll do that. We're going to take it direct to consumer, which we're specialists at. We can get this in front of anyone that fits a certain demographic. So, and the pillow is a really wide demographic. It's not like a tool or something else. So, and then that's what we'll do. So we'll sell the DTC and the direct to consumer and do the hospitality. And then last but not least, once it's got real traction, we'll back into the big box retail aspect of it. And then. We'll bundle it up into a nice little package and sell the shit out of it. That's mm. what we're going to do. And that's what the, I hope I answered the licensing question. No, 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 definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking for people are obviously a lot, a lot of people obviously are familiar with Shark Tank. And, you know, my joke would be that you were the, the Kevin O'Leary, right? He's always the licensing guy, but he's looking more to license it to other people on behalf of, right? Exactly, but he's also a royalty guy. Yeah. He likes the he likes to receive a royalty. Yeah, yeah. He likes he, he likes a stream of money coming in, right? Yeah, That's he what he likes. And he likes back, three so. times his he likes three times his investment back right away. So, you know, it's and listen, you gotta tip your cap to the guy. I'm a big Shark Tank fan. I really am. So but this was this was not a knockoff, so this wasn't this wasn't really like it. It was more science heavy. Yes. Um, the, deal, the deal was secondary, if we're being totally honest. The deal was secondary. The science was primary because of the network that it showed on, but it right. still had all the, it still had somebody like yourself was a business guy, maybe not so sciencey. You would still watch it because it was interesting as hell to see what's he going to do with this one. I wouldn't do it. Maybe he will. Let's see. You know, yeah. that types of stuff. You interesting. Know? Interesting. Good stuff. So let's talk about how you, you know, it's interesting because a lot of folks, you know, when they're evaluating investing in a company, you know, let's say they're just, you know, they're a financial investor as opposed to a strategic investor, right? You know, they're looking at a lot of, I mean, we, and we've had those kind of folks on the show as as guests and, you know, they'll talk about the factors that they look at, whether it's, you know, historical financial projections going forward, what the opportunity is. We talked about sort of this, this gap between, you know, fun, where generally investor wants to think that they have some better way, right? Some way they could either raise revenue or reduce expenses going forward. But you, you play it like, you want to talk about strategic investment. I mean, you take these things over, you play a very different role. I mean, you, because you get to not only bring capital to the table to, to, to buy these folks out and then give them a royalty back, but you are actually taking on stuff that is in the wheelhouse of what you do, you know, every day. So, you know, how, how do you, I mean, obviously the easy answer would be that you pick, you know, products and, and companies that you, you, you think you can blow up, but like, give us a little more detail on how you analyze the you know, well, it's decisions. well, it's it's one hundred percent strategic. I'm yeah. not an I'm not an investor that draws money into something and then watches it happen. Right. It's gotta it's gotta coincide with my core competencies. If it yeah. coincides with my core competencies, then it's almost I won't say no brainer because that's a little too extreme, but it's a no brainer right. because 
It's just, I know, and nobody else knows what, what I know that's looking at the deal. So I know what I can do. I know that this is a, you know, this is a metal item. This is powder coated metal. Oh my God, I can crush this, right? So, and then looking at some, looking at the, the basic financials, I can understand that what they think those financials look like don't look anything like that because I crush those financials and really know it. I don't think it. I know it because I have, I have the wherewithal to actually send my people into the factories, take a look at this even before I do the deal, just like right. I do for the PE firms. So that's really a big factor in the way I do it and why I do what I do. I didn't know shit about pillows, to be honest with you, right. but I do know the rest of the chain and I will back into it. And I did. And in this case, China was not the best man for the job because of the freight quotient. So what did I have to do? I had to pivot and I went to Mexico and where, where it's very good manufacturing, but the freight quotient is pulled out. So now there's, now there's margin to be had. So that's, that, that's, you know, I hope I answered the question, but that, that's the things I look at. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, I would guess, listen, you know, it's very interesting because when you look at, let's say PE firms, right. Who obviously you help, you know, be successful in terms of leveraging these opportunities, but in general, you know, the ratio of investments that work out for PE firms, right. Is very, you know, I mean, they're, you know, the, basically if you speak to any, or, or I remember there was a guy that we had at an EO event, entrepreneurial organization event in New York many years ago from the London school of economics that did a whole analysis. Right. And basically, it, you know, this is, you know, rough, but what it comes down to for most PE firms is that they have either their individual investments or funds, right? Out of out of their, you know, the ratio is that seven out of 10 investments return zero, two out of 10 investments make them some money, but they're not home runs and they get, and they have one home run. And the one home run makes up for all the other nine, you know, certainly seven to nine investments that they otherwise have. I'm guessing based upon the strategic nature of what you do and the pickiness that you have and the value that you, you could add, your ratio has got to be a hell of a lot higher, right? It's, it's, it's successful it's, investment. It's, it's way better than that. And I can't tell you along those lines how many friends I have that have sold their companies to PE firms and then give me a call back and go, Mark, I got to go back in. It's, it's a bomb. And I'm like, told you, man. I told yeah. you. The problem is, and I don't want to get letters from PE firms, so kiss my ass ahead of time. But then, you know, you just can't throw money at something and think that it goes away. You know, people that people that see it on paper aren't the people that roll up their sleeves and break their ass. I'm sorry. And I don't I know we're going to get some letters and stuff, but I don't care because the bottom line is when you roll up your sleeves and get in there, which is what what we do, then it's a way big difference in saying, oh, yeah, let's acquire that for X million. Let's throw a little bit. Let's throw this at it. And then that'll have I can't tell you how many deals I've personally seen seen that shit the bed. Because all they thought was they're just going to throw money at it. And like you said, if all they're doing is pot shotting, then good for them. Their, mo their model probably works. But maybe you can do three or four out of 10 instead of one out of 10 looking for your home run. Maybe there could be two or three or four home runs and yeah. the rest of them shit the bed. That's fine. But that's, that's just from my what, what I've seen over the years. And they get them back and they're pissed off too because they, they took the money, they run. And in their mind, they go, they go on vacation. They're living oh, yeah. a beautiful life. They check in every once in a while. And now they're back in the mix. 
Nothing's worse than being back in the mix after you got the taste of that relaxation life. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially because for many of them, there's a good chunk of the money that is part of that purchase price that is that is back end that they're not going to get unless they go back in because you know because the numbers aren't because you know, the earnout's not performing right. So right. they retain twenty percent of the company, and now to protect that twenty, they got to go back in. They right. hold the secret sauce, right? So unless you kept them on for a good long time and drew drew the secret sauce out of them, you got nothing. You know what I mean? So now you got to bring him back in with his sauce and you know, hopefully you know, salvage the thing, which he will, to protect this 20% that he left behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, to- totally, totally. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I just, um, you mentioned Queens, right? So the, the, you grew up in, in, in New York? Yeah, I was, born, I was born in Queens and I've been lived in New York my whole life. So I'm a, I'm a Brooklyn boy myself and... Uh, you know, and and I have a sense. I'm just curious, like uh, in terms of where you are today versus, you know, I mean, I, again, I was a hustler as a kid as well. But I'll, t- I, I mean, I'll just share my experience. I'm curious as to as to you on a sort of more personal level. You know, to some extent, you know, I was I was o- always hustling. I always figured, you know, that I'd I'd find a way. I mean, you know, I, and and I grew up with, with low middle class parents. We always had food on the table. We weren't poor, but you know, we didn't. I mean, I, I didn't get on a plane until I was in law school, right? You know, I didn't, you know, we didn't go out to dinner. We ordered yeah. in Chinese food once in a while. That was a big treat. You know, you know, when, when, when my mother went back to work as a nurse, we were able to go up to the Catskills for a weekend, you know, once a year, right? That was the big vacation. So I'm wondering, you know, and, and, and I look at where I am now and I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, what, what a journey, a long way. Who, who would have thought, right? You know, I'm wondering about your, you know, your, your sort of thinking and journey and background, just in terms of where you've come building such a successful Company very, in this, in this niche. very similar. The only time we went out to Chinese food is when my grandparents came over. So, you know, the same grandparents with the lollipops and the fives. But uh, yeah, they that was the only time we really went out to dinner. It wasn't like that. You know, we, we, ate, we ate home. We played outside all day. That's yeah. And your mother would just rat out to your father what you did all, all day. And you'd come home. And if you did two things, he'd beat your ass two times, you know? So, I mean, that's where I, I mean, that's, that's the way I grew up. So, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you have this idea in your mind where you're going to be and, and it's just, they never, it's just never the same. I mean, you think you never feel successful. Yeah. I, I mean, this is just me talking personally. I just, I'm, I'm very regular. I, I put my pants on one leg at a time and I just, I'm always thirsty, hungry for deals. I'm never going to retire. I just don't know what I would do. I don't have a hobbies. I don't have hobbies. I love this. Like what we're doing and chatting about what we're chatting about. This is, this is like dirty talk to me. I love, I love it. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see myself retiring and I don't think that what I pictured when I was younger is even close to what I am today. Not a bad thing, but just. You know, there's a reality and a perception and they yeah. just, ne- they never meet. They always miss each other. So, I mean, that's just me, you know? I love it. You know, it's, it's, you know, it makes me think about two things about this podcast. I mean, one, there's a reason I always open it, you know, saying, Hey, you know, whatever you're doing today, you know, is amazing. But, you know, I, I doubt, you know, what did you want to be when you're eight, 10, 12 years old? Cause I doubt it was that. Cause it's almost, I mean, in a re- over 200 episodes, I've had a, a couple of people who sort of are doing whatever they thought they were going to do at that age. It's almost never the case, right? So that's a, you know, it's always interesting to me. And I think it's instructive for younger folks. Um, and then also, like you said, I mean, I love what I do as well, right? So for me, you know, we we were talking to the pre-call on how much this podcast has taken off and become, you know, top one and a half percent, blah, 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 you know, 40,000 downloads a month. 
but you know, if I still had 50 or 60 or 80 people listening to an episode, I'd still do this. Cause I love, I mean, I love, I mean, I'm having fun, right? I love having these conversations, talking to amazing entrepreneurs and deal people about deals. And, you know, for me, this is, this is a blast. It's one of my favorite parts of the week. You know, fortunately it's also taken off and become, you know, you just, great driver of business for me and build, you know, great new relationships. But, but, but yeah, and I, and I would never retire either, you know, but and, Corey, and, Corey, that's the fallout of what you're doing. You're, you're, you're not doing it for money nope, or for nope, deals or anything. You're nope. doing it out of passion. What falls out of it is, is just plus plus. That's it's a hundred percent. Right. And it's an important distinction, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I launched this podcast because I thought, you know, I didn't say, oh, I, what is like the best marketing thing to drive more business to my law firm or to my consulting? You know, no, that wasn't it. I just saw that so many companies spend all their time on organic growth. And listen, you have to figure out how to get customers and clients and get another one and get another one. You should be doing that. But sure. so many fewer companies do some sort of an organic growth, some sort of deal, right? And the ones that do, who grow on both organically and inorganically, are the ones that are even more successful. So really the trigger for this was, I think that there's so many more deal opportunities for companies in, I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what size you are. I don't care if you have capital, you don't have capital. There's a way you can do a licensing deal, joint venture deal, strategic alliance, some sort of distribution deal, marketing deal, whatever it is, right? So that was my passion to have people be more exposed to, you know, to that and to shift their thinking. We talk about the mindset of a deal maker. Like you're one of these guys like me that had an early mindset of an entrepreneur and then, you know, and then. And the mindset of a deal maker is even different than that. And, and you had that as well. You know, other people don't, don't always think that way. So yeah, that was my passion on why I did this. And you're right. Everything else that's come from it is, is not the reason I did it. It's the, yeah, it's the positive fallout from it. Those are your best deals. Those are your best deals. (laughs) You try to force something, it doesn't always happen, but when it falls into your lap because of a passion or something that you're doing, it's, it's a million percent. Like, I don't care if there's one person listening to us or a million people listening to us. You're going to get the same answers out of me and you're going to get <laughs> right. the same attitude. I just, I'm sorry. That's just who I am. This was, yeah, a, love this that. was a blast. This was love a blast. That. Love that. All right. Final two questions. The second to last question is just, you know, where can people find out more about you and your company and, you know, if they want to find out more? Well, there's two, there's two ways. One is globalsourceip.com. In other words, infrastructure partners, but it's globalsourceip.com. And if you want to reach out to me, I, I read all the submissions, Mark, M-A-R-C, Mark, MarkPortney.com. That's MarkPortney.com. Love it. Love it. So Mark, my final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, my highest ideal, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from all people in the world, from oppression to the reason why I haven't had a boss in decades and, you know, an entrepreneur. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? It's all I work for. I tell everybody, it's so funny you said the F word, the, the F word's freedom. And I work for freedom. I don't work for money. I never have and I never will. If you're a pain in my ass, I'm throwing you out. And that's how I work because you're, you're a pain in my ass and you're going to impede on my freedom. It has nothing to do with money. How many pairs of pants am I going to wear today? Let's try one. How many watches I'm going to wear? One. Do I give a shit about fancy cars? Not really. Stick them in your ass. So I really worked for the freedom to be able to do what I do. Another time, but we have, we set up entrepreneurs for five grand to do a dealership on this quick survive. And, and my start the ad by saying bosses suck. That's the beginning of the ad. If I didn't get your attention with that, then I'll never get your attention. But bosses right. suck. Sorry. Love it. Love it. 
Mark Portney, thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the DealQuest podcast. Corey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.